Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast, brought to you by the Amador Whiskey Company. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey the Greek, joined specially guest, guested by... This is Dustin Shooty. Dustin, you on Twitter. I am. I'm at Shooty Dustin. And I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast. DS, as awkward as my intro was, great to have you on, man. How you doing? It feels like it's been forever. I know it's only been like a couple weeks, but it feels like it's been forever since we've recorded. So it's it's awesome to be back talking with you again. Awesome, awesome. Um, anyways, you kind of alluded to it when we were talking before we, we hit record here. You, you do want to add something to our most pressing conversation from the last pod, which of course was about food and, and our pizza talk. Is there something you wanted to say? Yeah, I had to say, uh, first of all, I was I went to the supermarket and I was going to send you a true St. Louis style pizza, pick you up one of those Lunchables with the crust and the, <laughs> the ketchup packet that comes with it. I thought that would be an endearing gift since you love St. Louis pizza so much. Okay, what I was I was legitimately, when Kurt was going on that tirade about St. Louis pizza and how bad it was, legitimately laughing out loud. Like I could not contain my laughter in any way. And then I thought, of Kurt's general grumpy state of mind. And I feel like there's there's an opportunity here to be like, pick a food that Kurt doesn't like and make it a segment about what's in Oscar's trash can. <laughs> That's fantastic. It would take over the podcast. This would become the eyes on, on big food pod, uh, <laughs> podcast though. That would, that would be the only drawback. You could just have eyes, Kurt's eye, like the, the current logo eyes popping out of the trash can, and then you could have like a chicken boat or something. Oh, man, that is fantastic. Hopefully, hopefully Kurt laughed as hard at you just now as you did to him when you were listening to the previous podcast. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Um, you're, you're, you weren't born and raised in St. Louis or really that close. Um, with that being said, you had knowledge of how bad St. Louis pizza was long before that Twitter conversation and our podcast. Yes. Well, I don't know about long before. So I went to St. Louis one time in college with a couple friends and we got a St. Louis pizza and that was the last time. Wow. So I didn't, so I shouldn't general, I mean, I, I shouldn't have generalized it because that I don't, I don't even, I couldn't tell you where it was, what it was, what was on it. I just remember it was one of those collective like mm, this isn't really that good, and that was that. That's the I've never tried it. I've never ordered it. Anything else? How many so, guys were sitting at the table when you four. ordered the pizza? How many four. of the four disliked it? All four. But we were in college and we were cheap asses. So I mean, we continued to eat it. Of course, yeah. You can't but, you can't throw that money away. Right. Exactly. Because the one thing I would add to that podcast, not that we needed to after the lengthy conversation we had, but um, I. I I would like to know what percentage of adult, you know, people are aware of how bad St. Louis style pizza is. Like I, when I sent the tweet out, I was completely oblivious to what actually St. Louis style pizza was. Again, I want to make that clear. I thought it was more pertaining to the crust style, yeah. but very quickly realized, you know, like I could at least give myself some credit that I, I quickly realized I made a gigantic faux pas. Um, but I, I just, I'm curious, like how many people actually understand what St. Louis style pizza is? Do you think I'm crazy when I say less than half actually get what St. Louis style pizza is? No, because I think most people probably look at the photo. Like, I think 
when you see a photo of pizza and there's that word there, I think you just associate like the image of it more yes. so than the taste and what's actually on it. So I think people would look at like a picture of St. Louis style pizza and then get an idea of what it is, but it's not actually what it is. I don't, yes. I don't know if I'm describing this at all. Per perfect. <laughs> perfect. Uh, as Kurt said, the best move to do to, to do is delete this. So the best time to do it is now. It was it was a bad take. At least I could admit it. Speaking of housekeeping, we got a little bit of our own first housekeeping item, not one that I certainly want to report on, uh, but I will lose his five-star offensive tackle, Caden Proctor, pretty much at the 11th hour, maybe the 1030 hour. Uh, flips over to Alabama. Iowa fans are smarting. Um, I had the audacity to say that the uh, sky is not falling, that we'll be okay, which, of course, was met with nothing but disdain from Iowa fans telling me that I'm an idiot. Not not, not across the board, but anyways, uh, that is the state of the world we are in. Uh, not that, uh, you know, last-minute poaching never happened before, NIL and and transfer portal, but it sure seems to be happening at a little bit higher speed than it, than it used to be. Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of interesting, too, that there's some backlash on that, because it's not like Iowa gets five stars regularly. Like they've made a living on on turning three star linemen, maybe four star linemen into NFL prospects. So it's not like it's it's uncharted waters for them. So I understand you want to get the best players and it's probably exacerbated by the fact that the offensive line didn't look great and the offense played pretty poorly this season. So I get it, but I agree with you. Like the, the coaching staff in place has proven over two decades now that they know how to evaluate talent, how to develop talent. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you. The sky's not falling. I don't. And, and part of it too is, and, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit too, is I just, to me, recruiting at the high school level is not as important as it used to be anymore mm -hmm. just because it, like Alabama over the last four years has had a hundred guys, 42 of them have entered the transfer portal. Yeah. So I just don't perceive it the same way as I used to. No, it's a great point. And again, I want to make sure I, I know that, you know, or let Iowa fans know the loss hurts. So, you know, I, yes. I, my point wasn't that it, it, but my thing was, it was more of a PR thing, an image thing, you know, to lose them. And you said, you know, Iowa doesn't get that many five stars. I mean, I think that's why Iowa fans are smarting so much because we we thought we did get one. Uh, and and I know this is probably going to sound like I am a Iowa football or Kirk Ferentz apologist, but at least they had him in the fold for quite some time. You know, there was there's a lot of teams regionally that are close to Des Moines that never really had a chance at at Caden Proctor. Um, Iowa at least had him in the fold for a while, you know, um, I, I, maybe that's, that might make me sound like a complete Homer, but I, there, there deserves to be at least a little bit of credit there, but obviously, you know, getting them all the way home is a next step, but DS, I'll be honest with you. I mean, we'll do the big recruiting pod with Kurt, you know, sometime in the next couple months, but at this point in my college football fandom, as I, you know, move through, through my forties, I just don't trust that these guys are good and that they're going to make it into the uniform and then be good once they're in their uniform until I see it with my old tired eyes. No, I'm, I'm with you. And this is I, because we've seen, I don't want to say there's, there's countless guys. I don't know if that's true, but how many, there's enough examples of guys who have been four star guys. And you, I mean, usually it's a quarterback that have been four or five star prospects that just don't work out for whatever reason it might be. And like I said, now, 
you can have somebody that plays extremely. Look at Dason McCullough from Indiana. He was a their highest ranked recruit ever. He goes there, plays extremely well his first season, and then he transfers out. So I, I like, I don't want to. To, it's to, a tire. It's a whole tirade. We could go off on this yeah, topic, and we will. Was. We will, and we'll probably have you on the right. podcast when we do it. But like, it hurts uh, college football fans. Um, I didn't mean to make it such a central view to Iowa right there, but you could really switch out Caden Proctor with different player, different school, right. and it hurts the 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 college football sport when you just get to really know a kid, and you know you now have the chance that he's gone. That never was a thing even six or five or six years ago, especially not a thing when you guys like me and you were, you know, in middle school and high school and fall in love with the sport. When you had a player that was a freshman, you just knew he was going to be there until maybe his junior year. If he was extra special, he he went pro his senior year. Shoot. Now you had a freshman that could take off before his sophomore year. It just sucks, man. And, And the one thing I'll add to this is the, I think the thing that really bites for a lot of fans is, it's not, it's, you're not going to be able to change it. And a lot of these coaches now have to ask the fans like, Hey, we've got to donate. We got to get up our NIL package. We got to get this collective moving. So it's almost like the fans have to be part of it in order to land those commitments within this new era of transfer portal, NIL, all this stuff. And it's just, I think it just makes it even more tiresome. It's, I don't know. It's still, it's just a crazy whole topic. Always squeezing the middle class. Yes. Always squeezing us. Uh, (laughs) Another housekeeping item, this more on a good side for a Big Ten team. Mike Loxley flipped high four-star edge Neil Avery away from the SEC and Ole Miss. Not as much to report there. That's just a euphoric thing for Maryland, and boy, that's what Lox does, man. I don't know what his technique is, but his ability to late flip guys, it's incredible. Yeah, I don't know what his recruiting pitch is. I'd love to be in on those conversations, those phone calls or text messages, whatever they are, because he did it with Rakeem Jarrett a few years ago when he was committed to LSU. Uh, what's really impressive, I'm not surprised when he does it on the offensive side, but to get an edge, that's that's a big deal for Maryland, especially because sure. last year they had, they lost so many of their top linebackers. Uh, to me, that, that makes it even more impressive. So that's a big-time gift for Maryland. They've had some issues defensively. I think they're getting better in that, in, in that realm, but I, it, this is definitely going to help them as well. Absolutely. Um, another housekeeping item here, Brett. Bielma, a.k.a. Beetle, signs a six-year extension with Kurtz fighting Illini. I'll be honest with you, I don't have the details here. I'm not exactly sure what the buyout is, but long story short is, you know, pretty obvious that anybody that's paid even close, even somewhat attention to fighting Illini, the Illinois fighting Illini football team, Beetle's got him playing a lot better, and obviously this is the best thing the coach, the the uh, university can do to let let their coach know that they want him there as long as he as he can stay. Let's the coach, let's the staff, let's the recruits, the current players, everybody. So it's a, it's a big deal. It's good. It had him in the division race in two years. I mean, that's incredible. Insane, insane. Um, okay, and then last thing aren't, aren't so much housekeeping is just bullet points. Um, this is about the Bulls. Okay, so um, anybody that's followed me enough on Twitter and listened to the podcast, not you know, not that that's anything I would ever expect, but if you have, you know that I'm somebody that has held on to the the charm that is the bull season okay um i i still love the bulls i hope that bulls are there when my son is my age you know that we're still get to watch bulls and people are running bull pools and whatnot 
With that being said, obviously the the style and the flavor of the Bulls have changed because of all the things we just talked about, NIL, transfer portal, and whatnot. Um, so here's one thing that I maybe I'm I'm it's it's a forced situation, but I've decided now that for the lower tier bulls, right? Because this this statement is not gonna apply to certainly the college football playoff. And I would say for the most part, the higher level New Year's Six Bulls, certainly the Rose Bowl is a, is still a destination for these players. But for the the lower bulls that basically have a sponsor's name, you know, in the title for how they're known, players are opting out like like crazy. If they're even remotely injured, they're not going to play. I now find the charm in the fact that we get to see younger guys play in these bulls. It's like a it's spring practice has begun. For a lot of these football programs, I think more fans need to look at it like that. Or do you think I'm crazy? Do you have any kind of take on that, Diaz? I do. I don't. I don't think you're crazy. I think you are. I think you love college football and you're an optimist and you see the good in that. My problem with it, though, is it gets to a certain point where, especially in like we'll talk about Purdue had a ton of opt outs or a lot of teams that had a ton of opt outs. I'm to me, I'm not watching the same team. I, I just don't know how interested that like it, it takes away to me some of the interest level. I totally get where you're coming from and what you're saying. Like for some of these games, it's a chance to see these new guys. It's a chance to see a new team. What are they going to do? And I feel like in some of these games, they, they just have fun. Like at some point they're like, yeah, it's a bowl game. It would be nice to take the trophy home, but let's go have, this is, this is a reward. This is supposed to be fun. So it's not maybe quite as business-like. It's just that I, I guess it's, Bowl season for me used to be can't miss television. I would sit down when the first game started and I wouldn't move off the couch till the last game ended every single day during bowl season. Now I'm like, eh, if I miss a bowl game here or there, am I really missing that much? And because it's, it's not the same team. So I wish I had the more optimistic approach, but that's just where I am with it right now. It's funny because everything you just said right there, I've got a touch of that myself. So it's not like that has missed me either. Um, so maybe I am trying to make the, the best out of a watered down situation. The other thing I want to say is not every, you know, opt out type of bowl game is the same, uh, you know, right, one of right. the, one of them involving the Purdue Boilermakers is one of those. Unfortunately, we'll, we'll break that down in a little bit. So I do want to acknowledge that, but, but when there is a, an example of seeing some of the younger players that, you know, are going to play namely on offense, right. And stuff like that, it, it can make it more fun. Um, last thing I want to say is, uh, for obvious reasons, this is as dialed in as I have been for the college football playoffs since 2014. You know, the inception of the playoffs when Ohio State ran through everybody in the, and won the Big Ten championship. You, you feel kind of the same way, DS, about the college football playoffs this year? I'm fired up. I mean, how many times have we had to sit through and just listen about two SEC teams, three SEC teams, whatever the case might be, and now we finally get two Big Ten teams, two big, two teams that I think were worthy of spots. They didn't just – I mean, you can kind of say Ohio State back then, whatever, but they are one of the top four teams in the country. And I think these are really interesting matchups, too, that we're going to talk about. So, yeah, I'm jazzed up. I'm excited about it. I'm, I, it it's probably as dialed in as I've been, and part of it's probably to a little bit of that – you know, burnout on Alabama stuff. But the other part of it is to not just the big 10, but I think the matchups are going to be really fun. Absolutely. Completely with you. And the other thing too, is let's be honest, new year's Eve is amateur hour. 
I don't give yes. a crap anymore. And the fact that there's an excuse to not have to go do something on a party and get dressed up and all that jazz that no, I'm just going to watch college football on new year's Eve. Right. I'll be honest with you. I give a little bit of credit to the college football overlords, whoever makes these decisions that they've kind of just stuck with it and kept these games on new year's Eve it, at this point, stick with it forever, man. You know, like yeah. have the semifinals or something, you know, when it changes, keep something on new year's Eve, because I think it could wind up becoming a decent tradition. I think so, too. Uh, and again, this is me becoming a politician, changing my mind when something benefits me. When I had to cover it and I was on New Year's Eve, hated it. Now that I'm a fan and get to watch and, and don't have to work that day, I'm fired up. Let's do it every year. <laughs> you are very truthful in your fickleness, and I and I appreciate that, Diaz. <laughs> I do what I can. I just try to be honest. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and get into the Bulls. First game up will be this Tuesday, December 27th, the guaranteed rate bowl, the six and six Wisconsin Badgers versus the seven and five Oklahoma state Cowboys. This is a nine 15 PM game on ESPN. Good luck staying up. I joked with DS. I literally took a nap from six 30 to seven 30 PM tonight, folks. That's the truth line Badgers by three over under 43. So Vegas is saying something like 23 to 20 Badgers. Wisconsin is fifth in the Big West. Ohio State out of the Big 12 finished fifth. What are we looking at here in this bowl? Well, I think the thing that stands out to me most about this game is Wisconsin's defense, I think, has been pretty good. Maybe not as good as a typical Wisconsin defense as we've seen throughout you know, the history of time. Um, but Oklahoma State, surprisingly, known for Mike Gundy, known for their offense, they have not scored more than 20 points in their last five games. And Crazy. they're one in four in those games. And yep. they've, they've gotten blown out. So I just don't know how much uh, um, offensive explosiveness Oklahoma State has. Traditionally, I would look at this matchup and think, there's probably going to be a lot of points. Does Wisconsin have the same sort of offensive firepower to stick with them? I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Wisconsin, with their defense, and then they can kind of grind it out on the ground. Obviously, they're going to bring in uh, Chase Wolf now that Graham Mertz isn't there. This is this is going to be one of those games where this is what you talked about. This is one of those games where we we knew what we were going to get with Graham Mertz. We have no idea what we're going to see with Chase Wolf, and I think it's exciting to kind of see a new era of Badger football. Obviously, Luke Fickle's not there, but what 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 are we going to see from this offense? What are we going to see from Chase Wolf? I, this is the game that I think is might be sneaky good. Absolutely, I, I checked with our guy Soup, uh, Wisconsin uh, insider, and. Yeah, Chase Wolf is the the thought, you know, the well-known quarterback that would that would step in, but freshman Miles Burkett has been looking good in practice. So that's a more mobile quarterback. That to me is what I'm most excited to see in this game. Is will we start to see a little bit of uh, you know a sneak peek into the future? Not that uh Fickle is and his staff are here. This is very much Jimmy Leon Hard, very sad. First, last time we're going to be able to yeah. say this uh, on the podcast, but but Leon Hard is still running the show through the bowl game, so it's not going to look drastically different, but maybe a little bit different if you got Miles Burkett in there. Another thing too, Keanu Benton, Nick Herbig. I mean, these guys are stalwarts of the defense. They have opted out, so we're going to have a younger uh, a younger group of guys on defense. So. Could we see a little bit different style of offense with a more mobile quarterback? Maybe a little bit leakier defense without their without their studs back there. 
Um, we think Agent Zero Braylon Allen is going to play. We think that's going to happen. I don't know. Maybe maybe this has got a little bit more you know sexiness and excitement to it because of the unknowns. I think it. I ew. sexiness maybe excitement. I. <laughs> <laughs> Still have, I guess I probably don't have quite as much faith in either offense okay. to, to label it as exciting, but I do think it's intriguing because there are some significant opt outs. The, the quarterback situation, this being Jim Leonard's last game, I think there's a lot of interesting factors at play here, especially on the Wisconsin side. Yeah, I, I you hit on the points that I was going to make before, which is I was I knew Oklahoma State's offense wasn't as good this year. I was surprised at how much it struggled down the stretch. So I don't know. I, I, I do feel like I get the sense that this team wants to finish out for Jim Leonard. I think they want to finish out with a winning record. So I've got Wisconsin 23, Oklahoma State 17. So that's a Wisconsin cover. And at 40 points, I got this going under the game total. So I've got Wisconsin 27, Oklahoma State 14. That's a Wisconsin over and a 41 and under. All right. Moving in to two days later. Thursday, December 29th, the Bad Boy Mowers Pinstripe Bowl. All right, real quick. (laughs) (laughs) This is nothing to do. Do I say this every year? Yes, I do. This is nothing to do versus Minnesota, but you don't get rewarded for the year by going to play in a cold weather. I I am a big cold weather football fan. I want cold weather as the playoffs, but when it's a bowl game where you're supposed to get a reward i don't want it to be cold i just have a problem with the pinstripe bowl i'm sorry there's that and if it's in a baseball stadium i hate it i hate football games in baseball stadiums whoever came up with that idea should be smacked with the newspaper (laughs) all right let's reset this okay here we go thursday december 29th the bad boy morris pinstripe bowl the seven and five syracuse orange not traveling far to take on the eight and four Minnesota Golden Gophers this is a one o'clock p.m. game on ESPN line Gophers by three over under 42. So Vegas is saying something like 23 to 20 Gophers. Uh, Minnesota essentially tied for second in the Big Ten West, whereas Syracuse was tied for third in the ACC Atlantic. By the way, just to just to like have fun with myself, when I wrote these down, I gave myself a guess and I said, I think. Um, Syracuse finished fourth in the coastal. No, it was third in the Atlantic. I had no clue. I had no clue. Yes. <laughs> I can't keep those divisions straight either, to be honest. Impo- impossible. It, it, was, it was probably like how it was probably legitimately how everybody viewed the leaders and legends way back in the day. Yes, like, yes it no was. Clue. Um, anyways, by the way, speaking of Syracuse, they lost both their offensive coordinator and their defensive coordinator in about a 36 hour time frame. Um you know, they were kind of the darlings of college football along with Kansas at the beginning. Petered out, but you got to give them credit. You know, they they figured out a way to get into a bowl game. It'll be interesting to see how dialed Syracuse is for this bowl game. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, I think they did some good things, especially on the offensive side throughout the season. I mean, uh, Garrett Schrader had an outstanding season. They 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 did some really good things offensively. They played Purdue really well. I had that had that big win early in the year. Um on the on the Minnesota side for me, I just I am I crazy to think that this this seems like a, a a going away party for a lot of Minnesota offensive players. Am I crazy to think that PJ is gonna steer away from that ground and pound, grind it out just Ooh. a little bit and let the guys have some fun in this? I don't know. I I should preface this. I don't know that it's going to work, 
I don't know that it's going to happen. But I just feel like if you're having a bowl game, you've got some six-year guys on there. You've got some seniors a lot who've played a lot of football. We saw last year he he uh, ran a run play to Daniel Falele, uh to give him a touchdown. I feel like PJ might try to open things up just a little bit and let the guys have some fun. That is a heck of a memory with that Daniel Falele, Falele um, uh, call. Um, I hear what you're saying. I thought what you were going to say is, are they going to let Tanner Morgan just throw a pass at some point in this game yeah. so he can have a pass attempt in the bowl? That would be cool to see if he yeah. just walks out there, if maybe Minnesota's got the game handled and he just goes out and throws a pass. That would be sweet. Um, I think the best way PJ can say thank you to a six-year seniors is to win the game. And I think the way that they win this game is by relying on the rushing attack and relying on their defense. So I think that's mostly what they're going to try to do. But now I'm going to jump on the other side of the fence and say, but Ethan Kelly McManus kind of lit Wisconsin up the last time we saw him. Do they want to kind of keep his juices going heading into next year to try to reaffirm that Kelly McManus is their guy? This bowl game is as good of a chance to do that. Well, and we saw, you know, early in the season when he had to be first called upon in that Penn State game, uh, I mean, he struggled mightily. So you talked about, you know, giving younger guys another chance or, or giving them a chance. You get all these bowl practices to get um, Kirk Shiraka's system under your belt. I don't, I still don't think Minnesota, people have figured out how good Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman were on that 2019 team, by the way. But I think that's I. That's why I feel like they might try to open it up just a little bit. I I do think primarily they're going to depend on the run game, but I'm curious to see what the passing attack looks like in this. Um, I I think if you give him the the problem is as PJ says he doesn't believe in momentum, so I I don't know. It, this is going to be a really interesting aspect from the from the passing game. I think Minnesota needs to throw it just a little bit, have a little fun with this. I don't know that that's what they're going to do. I think they will. I, I think that the fact that we're asking the questions is probably a lot of the, uh, uh, questions that, that Minnesota fans are asking as well, but I think they will. I think it'll be a little bit more fun style than what we saw out of, out of Minnesota in like, you know, most of October and November. I, I think the, the, the extra bowl prep for Calic Manis will be a good thing for him, for Sriracha, for, for everybody. So that's what I that's what I think we will see, which is leads to what my prediction is. I got Minnesota 27, Syracuse 17, a little bit more open offense out of Minnesota, still a very good performance out of Minnesota's defense. I very much like Minnesota to cover this, so I'll go ahead and make this my Amador double barrel lock of the week. And at 44 points, I got it just going over. So I've got Minnesota 24, Syracuse 20. So that's a Minnesota cover. And I also have 44 at an over. All right, moving in the next day, Friday, December 30th, the Dukes Mayo Bowl. Seven and five Maryland Terrapins versus the eight and four NC State Wolfpack. This is an 11 o'clock a.m. game on ESPN line Terps by a point over under 48. So Vegas is saying something like 24 to 23 Terps, Maryland, of course, fourth in the Big Ten East. Very clear. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven in the Big Ten East. NC State, again, I had no clue, but they were tied for third in the ACC Atlantic. Some big losses for NC State. Uh, quarterback Devin Leary is, is gone. He's in the transfer portal. He'll be, not be playing in this game. Uh, so now freshman quarterback MJ Morris, who did get some reps this year, is the guy. Um lot of uh, not a lot, but a couple decent wide receiver op, op outs for Maryland as well. But 
I think if you look at their younger guys and guys returning, Jayshon Jones uh, being one of them that will play in the bowl, I, I do think there's enough there for the receiving core. Uh, for Maryland. Shout out to my guy, John Vandy, for helping me out with the knowledge there. This has the potential to be a, a bowl game where both teams look a little bit different than what they did during the season. Yeah, I think so. And I think the one thing that you can be happy about if you're a Maryland fan for this game is they had a rushing attack and both of those guys, Roman Hemby and Twain Littleton, um, they should be good to go. So I think that that's big, but it's, Here's, here's the positive and the negative. You don't have Dante Demas, Rakeem Jarrett, or Jacob Copeland. That's obviously the negative. The positive is I don't think Mike Loxley cares. Like, I think <laughs> I, you could put a guy out there that's never played a snap in a game, and if if he recruited him, I feel like he's got faith that he can get the job done if he's able to get – if he's on the field. So I it is going to be interesting because I don't know how much Maryland's offensive approach is going to change in this game. Now, that they may not – catch as many passes. They may not have as much success, the, the same big plays that we saw throughout the season. But I don't know that Mike Loxley and, and Maryland's play calling offensively is going to change that much. I just think that that's how much confidence Lox has in his play calling and in his and in the guys he brings to his program. Yeah, I mean, uh, shout out to my guy again, John. Um, he thinks that Knotts, the, the younger player, um, is going to play quite a bit. And then Ty Felton, and Corey Dychess, a tight end. I mean, essentially, there's enough there in the receiving core to 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 give Leah Tonga Viola a chance to work. And and I can't tell, I can't, I can't express enough how these bowl game practices. <laughs> it's a it's a big deal. Like the bowl game practices are a bigger deal than the bowl game. I think most coaches would agree with that for the lowercase bulls. I want to make that clear, you know, not, not the Rose bowl or the college football playoff, but for these lower bulls. So the fact that some of these younger receivers for locks are going to get a chance to work um, a cup, I think a little bit of healthiness coming back to the offensive line. Hopefully you see that. I think you got a couple of guys on the offensive line for Maryland that want to put some NFL tape out there. So I don't know. It, I, I'm not saying I know a ton about NC State, but my general take is losing your quarterback, it didn't wind up being the year that they wanted it to be. Maryland, however, is is seeing this as a springboard coming into the 2023 season, kind of like they did last year. So I, I think we're going to get a, a, a little bit more dialed in Maryland game, uh, Maryland team for this bowl game. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that. The one the one caveat I would throw out there is Nancy State's gotten things done defensively this season. Like they only allowed 30 points one time and that was to Clemson. Uh so I think that not having those three guys having those those reliable targets in the passing game does play into NC State's hand. I don't think it demoralizes Maryland. I think it just benefits um and plays into NC State's hand because they don't have to they they don't have to focus in on on as many receivers as they would if those three guys were playing. Okay. Go ahead. And so I've got NC State 28, Maryland 27. So it's an NC State cover, and at 55, a pretty good over. Wow, okay. I think Maryland's going to be the more dialed-in team for this, this game. So I've got Maryland 27, NC State 24, so at 51 points. I have that as an over. And, DS, what better way to say goodbye to 2022 – then hefty Mike Loxley being drenched in some creamy Duke's mayo mayonnaise. He does seem like a mayo guy to me. (laughs) 
<laughs> the Eyes on Big Podcast is sponsored by the Amateur Whiskey Company. Our unique process takes the highest quality Kentucky bourbon and finishes in California wine barrels. This double barrel aging technique creates characteristics from the individual barrels that are blended together to make an exceptional whiskey. Perfect sip neat or in your favorite bourbon cocktail. Amador is the perfect go-to this fall game day. Amador Whiskey, born in Kentucky, raised in California. Got a couple more games left to go. First up here, Saturday, December 31st, better known as New Year's Eve, the Music City Bowl, the 7-5 Iowa Hawkeyes versus the 7-5 Kentucky Wildcats line. Hawks by 2.5 over under 31? <laughs> yes, that's right. A 31-point over under, which Vegas is saying something like 17-14. to 14. Iowa, Iowa tied for second in the Big Ten West. Kentucky tied for fourth. In the SEC East, this is a little bit, little bit of, little bit of excitement knocked off this bowl, seeing as how they just played each other yeah. almost exactly 365 days ago. Another thing is, almighty ex Penn State quarterback Will Levis. I'm sorry, dude, but I'm, I'm just amazed that Will Levis is still being viewed as like the second or third best quarterback in the NFL draft. He is out of this game along with running back Chris Rodriguez. But back back to Will Levis, like it's a big loss for Kentucky. Don't get me wrong. I'm still I'm still amazed that people think that Will Levis is going to be the next Josh Allen. Do you want to know what my very first note on this game is? Go for it. Kentucky's passing attack gets a big boost without Will Levis playing. <laughs> dude, and I, I I'm with you. I don't get it. I don't get the hype. I dude, I'm telling you. Everybody loves the unicorn that is Josh Allen. Oh, by the way. Oh, my gosh. Dude, Kurt and I have had this conversation offline. We think Josh Allen with a helmet on looks a lot like Dustin Schutte. <laughs> have you heard that at all? I've heard that. You are. You would be people number four and five. Yes! So we're not the first ones. <laughs> no. People have told me this multiple times, and it's usually when I'm wearing like a, a ball cap or yes. a, a beanie. Yes, people say that to me all the time. Well, I should wow. say all the time. I didn't even have that in my notes, but I'm saying Josh Allen's name, and I'm seeing your face looking across from me, and I'm like, oh, that's right. Anyways, it is, um, it is our round like Charlie Brown esque heads. <laughs> and, and, and I'll be honest with you, Diaz, the characteristics kind of they kind of end after that, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, somebody, some le legitimately one person texted me and said, you know, you look like a, an unathletic Josh Allen. <laughs> That's cruel, man. That's cruel. I wouldn't go that. I wouldn't go that far. Hey, I'll take it. It's, it's funny just to be compared. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> but long story short, like I know you're being tongue in cheek a little bit. I'm just shocked at how much love he gets. Like, and I really do think, yeah, it's because they want another unicorn that is Josh Allen. But I'm not saying he can't be good, but the development that's going to take to get to that level, I don't know. I just don't see it. But whatever. Yeah, I don't see it either. It, it was all year long, and there's just numerous examples. But the the other part of this too is Kentucky's top two running backs are out of this game too. So I don't know where they're going to get much of their offense in this game. And you're going up against a really good Iowa defense that has has played it in historically well leveled this season. Like I, I understand all the knocks about, about the Iowa offense, but when you don't have your starting quarterback and your two top running backs and your offense wasn't that great in the first place, 
I mean, the they, Hawkeyes might feast in this game. Well, I mean, the one thing I would say is it takes two to tango, and to get to a 31-point game, so, I mean, dude, I got to laugh at that, but, you know, Iowa's offense is obviously the, the low-hanging fruit, but Kentucky's offense is playing into this as well. When you lose what you just said, and by the way, their offensive line, it's also ass. They lost yes. two wide receivers as well in this game. Like, and then, I mean, essentially, you feel awful about both offenses. You feel pretty good about Kentucky's defense. You feel great about Iowa's defense. The only person that is sitting out the bowl game is safety Kayvon Mayweather. Big loss. Second team All-American. Dude has had a great career. I totally get that he wants to set the bowl game out. No judgment there. But this is an appreciation podcast for linebacker Jack Campbell. Consensus All-American. I am going to tear up DS when Jack Campbell watch walks off the field at the end of this game. One of the all-time greatest hog tip to the hat for him playing in this lower level game. Let's be honest. This isn't a, you know, historically amazing game. The fact that he wants to play in this game one more time means a lot to me because I mean, I know it means a lot to him. So that is really cool. Um, On Iowa's offense though, here's the crazy thing. Everybody's playing except for the quarterback. (laughs) <laughs> and Iowa fans are excited about that. <laughs> excited about that. I mean, so so for people that don't know, uh, Spencer Petras injured his uh, uh, shoulder in the Nebraska game. He is out. Padilla opted out in the transfer portal. Still in the transfer portal. So quarterback Joy Labas, who is been you know he's been one of those hockey lore practice guys, yep. you know. Um, and we have heard rumors. There has been chatta to to use a current expression that there's been some RPOs run in practice under the more mobile Joy Labas. This is another one of the bulls to me that's like this will be interesting to tune into to see if there's even a little bit of tweaks in the Iowa offensive style because of the quarterback. Were you salivating at the thought of that? Yes. Because I would be okay. Because more than I salivating. Would... More than salivating. Yes. <laughs> Can't stand up right away, right? <laughs> there you go. Uh, so what's interesting is that thought actually crossed my mind. Um, I wondered about what what's Iowa's offense going to look like? Because, again, I'm more interested in what kind of tweaks can you make in, in using these extra practices in this bowl game to experiment and try to fix some of the things – you've you've done poorly this season. I don't know if Brian Ferentz is going to do it. I don't I don't know. This is one of the games I'm I'm interested in watching for that purpose too. And I believe it was Brian Ferentz this year who said, you know, he's Labas is the most popular guy on the depth chart, right? Because he's the third string quarterback or the backup quarterback. Um everybody loves him because he hasn't played. And that's not a shot at him. That's just fact. And now we get to see what he can do and and I'm I'm really intrigued. This is when I almost like the games where the I'm going to be talking on both sides of my mouth to use a euism, but I do like the games where you see a new quarterback because we you know what you get with Spencer Petras. We don't know what we're going to get in this game at all, so it adds an element of intrigue to this. I we know what we're going to get from Iowa's defense. We know Kentucky's offense isn't that good. I think the factor of this game is going to be Iowa's offense and do they try to do some new things with a new quarterback. I think it really comes down to can Iowa run the ball uh, because the the freshman running back, he's still there. So if he can show out, Iowa's offensive line looked a lot better. In fact, the best the Iowa's offensive line looked last season was versus Kentucky in the bowl game there. Can we get somewhat of that same situation where 
the offensive line has settled down a little bit. The communication's a little bit better, and 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 it, it just looks better. I think we'll get that to a certain degree. Certainly, no explosion. Certainly, no nothing that people are going to be. Holy cow! Did you see Iowa's offense? I don't see that. I just see enough right. there to get the win. I've got Iowa seventeen. Kentucky 13. I'll be honest with you, Diaz. I'm taking the under at 30 because I don't want to be able to look at my son in the face, you know, 15 <laughs> years from now and be like, he'd be like, dad, did you bet the over in the yep. Iowa bowl game when it was 31? I'm going to say, no, son, I took that under and that's what I'm taking here. That's not a dad bod. That's a father figure, as I would say. <laughs> uh, what? So we are incredibly close. I have Iowa 16. Kentucky 13. So that's an Iowa cover and a 29 and under. And I'm making the under my Amador double barrel lock of the week. That is fantastic. So I had, I had 17, 13, you had 16, 13. That's hilarious. All right. We're going to skip over a couple bowls, DS. I know that might right. surprise you. And we're going to move into Monday, January 2nd, the ReliaQuest Bowl, the 8 and 4 Mississippi State Bulldogs versus the 8 and 4 Illinois Fighting Illini. Line Illinois by two over under 46. So Vegas is saying something like 24 to 22 Illinois. Illinois, of course, tied for second in the Big Ten West, went in down to the final week of the season with a chance to get to Indianapolis. Mississippi State tied for third in the SEC East. Obviously, we would be remiss if we didn't bring up the fact that uh, Mississippi State will be playing with a heavy heart uh, as Mike Leach uh, passed in the last couple of weeks, which is obviously the biggest news in college football, um, you know, I, I want to try to view that. I want to try to communicate this as, as tastefully as I can. Uh, it's fitting that our guy, Kurt, finally gets his team into a meaningful bowl. And it's going to be a bowl that exactly nobody outside of <laughs> Illinois is going to be cheering for Illinois. I mean, right. the, 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 the country is going to be pulling from Mississippi state. Um, I also think because of that, this is going to be an emotional game for Mississippi State where I think the players and the coaches remaining on the staff are going to want to get on the field and and play. And, and I think you're going to see that. I think this will be an emotional game, which is one of the kind of the reasons in, in a weird way to to tune into this into this bowl game. Yeah, I mean, that was the first thing that I wrote down immediately was what is the is the mental state of this team? Because I feel like it can be one of two things. It can be exactly what you said. Um, they want to get on the field. They want to win for their coach. They want to, you know, they want to play with some pride. Um, or it could be the other where it's, it's. I mean, that's just such a devastating blow. It where is. It's hard for a bunch of 18 to 23-year-olds to get back in the mindset of football um when something like that happens so i think i think you bring up a great point i do think that they'll want to get back on the field they'll want to play for their coach there'll be a lot of emotion but at that age um and with something that devastating that's something to keep an eye on i just it's it's hard to judge where their mentality is going to be at in this particular game like i don't i don't even know if you can look at much of the x's and o's of this um because it's just at this point for mississippi state it's really just so mental I mean, Will Rogers, 34 touchdowns to six picks quarterback for, for Mississippi State. Obviously, that's got Mike Leach's imprints all yeah. over it, and he's the play caller. So now that is a void that has to be 
filled in by somebody on the staff. I, I'll be honest with you, DS and people listen to the podcast. It's hard for me to determine information on how that's going to go down. That's not something I'm going to spend a lot of time looking into. I'd, right. It's a little creepy to say, hey, you know, now that Mike Leach has passed away, who's calling the plays? But now you've got that situation going against a really good Illinois defense. With that being said, it's a really good Illinois defense without Devon Witherspoon, who yeah. is All-American leader of the defense, and also Sidney Brown uh, that's not playing this game too. So you got the best two playmakers out of the secondary to go against a pass-heavy team. Um, it would have been awesome to see this game played in all its glory, you know, with play calling and guys, defenders, because this would really have been a true defensive, you know, heavy team in Illinois going against a pass happy team uh, uh, with Mississippi State. So we're not going to quite get that, but maybe because of those those, you know, moving pieces gone, maybe this winds up being one of our more interesting bowl games. It could be. And and the other factor, too, is, I mean, Ryan Walters uh, getting hired away at Purdue. So that could be a factor for the for the Illinois defense as well. Um, you know, the the offensive side, when you've got I mean, you've got Chase Brown, you've got a you've got a great rushing attack. I This is going to be a um, I, man, this is this is this is such a tough game to break I down. I, I just think that um, when you look at what Illinois has done all season, I think they'll be able, like Mississippi State, I don't think stopped the run very well this season. So I think that Illinois is going to be able to run the football. Um, and they've been consistent through the passing attack. I just, I think, I guess the best way to explain this is I think Illinois can play the same way they played the entire season. They don't have to do anything fancy. They don't have to do anything special. And they can beat Mississippi State. Like, I don't think they need a, a magic formula. Just do what you do best, and it's good enough to win this game. I don't disagree with any of that. Um, there is the possibility of the emotional factor being negative for Mississippi yep. State. I think it's going to wind up being positive. I think losing Devin Witherspoon is such a loss. I think he is just the alpha male, not only on the defense, but the whole team. Um, and I think Chase Brown will look great. Uh, by the way, the fact that Chase Brown's playing in this bowl game with his twin brother isn't probably as a reflection on the draft status. And and I think Chase Brown is going to want to prove himself on a national stage. And I think he's going to have a good game. But in the end, I got Mississippi State 23, Illinois 20. So that's a Mississippi State cover. And at 43 points, I got that just under the game total. I've got Mississippi State 27, Illinois 24. That's a Mississippi State cover and at 51 and over. All right, moving into the new year, Monday, January 2nd, the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl. The 9-4 and four LSU Tigers versus the 8-5 and five Purdue Boilermakers line Tigers by 14. This is one of the biggest bowl spreads we got this season over under 56. So Vegas is saying something like 35 to 21. Uh, LSU first in the in the uh, SEC West. I mean, it's it's. You know, kind of, it's almost like it's for a forgotten thing, but yes, that's right. LSU was the best team in the SEC West going against the Big Ten West winner, Purdue Boilermakers. Oh, well, of course, it's a 14-point spread because, you know, it's just the lowly Big Ten West winner. No, it's really because quarterback Aiden O'Connell, wide receiver Charlie Jones, tight end Payne Durham, oh, and the guy that called the plays for all of them, head coach, offensive coordinator Jeff Brom, all out of this game, all the things that I said about it's fun to watch a game in a team 
when there's unknowns. All of that is thrown out the window. This this is disgusting. It sucks. DS, I don't know what to tell you, brother. No, I don't know what to say either. Um, I, I it's I it's hard to find motivation. I get it for Purdue because you just lost your play caller. Um, you don't know what the offense is going to look like. Uh, you you didn't you play they played well about as well as they could have played in that Big Ten championship game against Michigan. I think a lot of players probably just thought that's that's going to be the end of it for us. Um, so I I. I don't know. I think the only really analysis that I have for this game is I think Brian Brom is just going to say, F it, throw it all out the window, break out every trick play he's got, because you're not you're not going to beat LSU any other way. You've got to dig deep in the playbook, hope you get lucky, uh, try to throw LSU off, give them something they haven't seen before. If you can do that, maybe you can keep it close. And I think that if there's one thing that Jeff Brom's teams, and I know he's not there, but it, over the course, they've, they've played generally pretty tough. So I think that they'll they'll have some fight, but they've got to they've got to do some some interesting things to stay close to a well, LSU team that has a lot of guys still on the field. And the interesting thing about this is, and this is what I'm I would say to tune into if you're a non-Purdue, you know, or LSU fan, Austin Burton in that FAU game, I think it was FAU. Yep. They unleashed an RPO offense that you know took everybody by surprise. Now they will have had a month to practice this. So maybe that's what we see. Austin Burton is a senior. He would love to go out yeah. on, on a winning note. And the, the, ex- actually you got me excited for this bowl game be- because of that. It, and you've actually got me doubting my pick now, as I think through this, because the unexpectedness and the, you know, WTF of this from the play calling for Purdue could wind up making this a game. So that is why I would tune in. Unfortunately, I just think this, the chips are stacked against Purdue here in that LSU, I know that they didn't win the SEC, but they put some points up on Georgia. They are looking at this as a springboard into you know next season. So I have got LSU 44, Purdue 24, and at 68 points, that's well over the, the game total of 56. So I think we're going to see Purdue battling and showing pride, but in the end, it's just LSU running away with this thing. I, for whatever reason, I think Purdue's going to catch LSU off guard early in this game, and maybe LSU has a little trouble getting going, but ultimately I think LSU catches uh, its footing. I have LSU 37, Purdue 21. That's an LSU cover, and at 58, that's an over. We're pretty close. All right. Moving into January 2nd, a little bit further, the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl, a game that my older brother played in, that I I was there uh, to, to uh, be as a fan. Anybody that gets a chance to go to the Rose Bowl needs to check it out. Definite bucket list. The 10-2 and two, Penn State Nittany Lions versus the 10-3 and three Utah Utes. Line Utes by two and a half over under 52. So Vegas is saying 27 to 24 Utah. DS, this is a great Rose Bowl. This is, if I, I gotta say, non college football playoff era bowls, this might be one of the, the most exciting and interesting bowls that I can remember. So, so very particular non college fo- football playoff era. Yes. Non-college football playoff right. bowls. I love it. Um, there's really no opt-outs here. Nope. We don't this is you're going to see 
the Penn State Nittany Lions versus the Utah Utes, and I'm excited to see it. Penn State third in the Big Ten East, Utah, and and, and let's be honest, third in the Big Ten. Utah, the Pac-12 champions, beat USC that Friday night last time we saw them. Dude, great game. It's great, and I think what makes this game this game so great is the fact that it's Penn State's defense against Utah's offense, so you're going to see strength on strength. I think that Penn State's offense is, is – and Utah's defense is is not the matchup you want to watch this. It's going to be – the I, I love which, the Penn which State – Which usually defense. means that's when the game's decided. Exactly. That's usually how that goes. But I do think – Still, I think that with as much as Utah passes, and Cam Rising is a really good quarterback, but at the same time, he's been known to make some mistakes in this yep. game. Yep. I think that if Penn State takes advantage of those mistakes and gets the, the ball in good field position, I think they've got a real chance to potentially run away with it. I don't know that that's going to be the case. I, I'm jet like I w- one of the notes I had was I don't know if it's going to be as great as Utah Ohio State Rose Bowl last year, but it's going to be a darn good one. Um, and and I think the biggest reason is. You got the Penn State defense, Utah offense, and as you said, very few opt-outs of this one. I, I I think there are certain programs that would take going to the Rose Bowl for a second year as a slight. The Utah yeah. Utes are not one of them. They are ecstatic to be back in this game. Shout out to my buddy Josh, huge Utah U, Utah Utes fan. So, like, but the other thing that I was gonna say is. Outside of Georgia and Michigan, the two highest teams in the country are probably playing in this bowl with Utah and Penn State. I mean, Penn State, certainly, you know, the Michigan loss hurt. They they had their chances in Ohio State. There are some Penn State fans that Kurt and I have joked about, and I think some Penn State fans have joked about, that can't that that aren't happy unless they're winning the Big Ten in the college football playoff. The more the more normal Penn State fans understand that ten and two, with somewhat of a rebuilding year, where your yeah. only two losses are Ohio State and Michigan, they're they're ec- ecstatic to wind up in the Rose Bowl. I think you're going to see an energetic crowd. I think you're going to see two energetic teams p- coming in hot. I know I've already built this up enough, but I can't wait to see this. And and I think you're going to get. We're going to get a senior quarterback for Penn State and Sean Clifford that wants to put a exclamation point on his legacy. We're talking about the 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 uh, passing leader in Penn State history. Will he have a Big Ten championship and college football playoff appearance on his resume? No, but Rose Bowl champion to to cement yourself. I think it means something more than people maybe even are, are understand that it is. Yeah, I think it means something to Sean Clifford. And I think I think it means something to James Franklin. I mean, he played in that game in 2016. I mean, he knows how special it is. And they that was a thrilling – that was a good one too, uh, the USC-Penn State game. And two, I think it was 2016. So uh, what's – I think what's going to be key – I feel like a broken record because I've talked about this and we've touched on this all season. You talked about Sean Clifford. I think Penn State's rushing attack is going to be there. I think that they'll be able to run the ball against Utah's defense. So what does Penn State not want to do? They don't want to give Utah's offense, get them on the field. They, they want to keep them keep Cam Rising sidelined as much as possible. Don't give them extra possessions. Don't have wasted opportunities. So it comes back to don't have that those one or two moments for Sean Clifford 
because if that happens, Cam Rising in, in Utah's offense, they can make they can take advantage of that, and then you're in a hole. And if Penn State gets in a hole, I don't know if they're good enough to come out of it against that Utah um, defense. So just don't make don't make too many mistakes in this game is is to me the biggest key. Absolutely. Um, the the Gopher Gridiron Radio podcast. Uh, one of their guests, uh, Derek the cousin. He says that college football is a game of mistakes, which I just love. And I think you're going to see that here. I mean, you talk about Cam Rising making mistakes. Everybody knows Sean Clifford. I think this is going to be a game of runs where you Mm -hmm. think one team is definitely the better team. Then that team gives the momentum away. I hopefully I don't have my hopes up too much, but this is going to be a quarter flip game. I'm going to go with the team that was just there and maybe has a little bit more experience in this deal, just playing in the back 12 championship. But this is close to me. I've got Utah 35 Penn state 34. So at a two and a half point cover, that's a, that's a Penn state cover. And at 69 points, I got this going well over the game total. I like Penn state's defense. I'm going Penn state 30. Utah 23. So that's a Penn State cover. And at 53, that's an over. For the record, Penn State fans, I hope DS is correct on this one. All right. Last two games. We're tough. We're, we're stretching out this week, man. <laughs> we're, we're like, we're like an hour, hour in. We still got two games to go. Hey, man, let's end on a bang, right? Exactly. That's right. The Big Ten games of the week. DS, I couldn't, I did want to put it out to a poll. When you have two Big Ten teams in the college football playoff, let's just both make them the game of the week. You, you, yeah. you, you good with that? All right. I'm good with that. So yep. we'll do them chronologically. First game up, we're going back, of course, to December 31st, New Year's Eve, the Fiesta Bowl, a.k.a. the college football playoff semifinal, the 12-1 TCU Horn Frogs versus the 13-0 Michigan Wolverines. This is a 3 o'clock p.m. game on ESPN line Michigan by seven and a half over under 58.5. So Vegas is saying something like 34 to 28 Wolverines, Michigan, of course, the undefeated big 10 champions TCU came up just short versus uh big, tw- uh, uh, Kansas state in the big 12 championship. This is a very interesting matchup because of this Michigan needs to win this game because if they fall on their face, to lose yeah. this, that's the story of this game. Almost everybody I've listened to expects Michigan to win it. Michigan, you got to go win this game. You know what's this game interests to me for another reason, and that's because both of these teams have kind of coast through the first 30 minutes, and then the snap of the fingers, they get things going. Now, it's in different ways which is really interesting to me. I feel like TCU can catch fire at the snap of a finger and Michigan is more of like that Python where they just constrict you throughout a full 60 minute game. And then in the last 10 minutes is really when they put together some of those punishing drives, you know, those, those long drives, you can't stop the rushing attack. JJ McCarthy makes just enough plays by the way. uh, I didn't, I haven't had a chance to talk about this at the big 10 championship game. J.J. McCarthy is incredible when he is outside the pocket. Unreal. 
So the key for TCU is to not pass rush him and just let him stand in there because he is he is for and I'm being serious. He's yeah, he yeah. does not seem to be as accurate when he's got time and he's in in the pocket. Um, but to me, this is it's hard for me to say. I am interested to see which team gets out to a faster start because I know how good both teams are in, in the second half. But I feel like that could be the X factor. What's which team is going to come out and throw the first punch in this game and try to set the tone? I can't make up my mind which game I'm looking forward to more. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Like, I I could come up with reasons why this is the game that's more exciting to me because this is the Big Ten team that has the chance to to put it, you know, like uh, exercise its dominance on a team. Um, last year, Michigan was happy to be there. Yeah. I think even I think even Jim Harbaugh has publicly. And some of the players have publicly admitted to that much. Like, and I should have paid more attention to that last year because I picked Michigan to cover. And and like their number one goal last year was to beat Ohio State and win the Big Ten. Their their number two goal, I think, was to beat Ohio State. Their number one goal was to win a college football playoff. The Big Ten championship was like third or fourth. I know that doesn't make sense, but that's what I believe. The point I'm trying to make here is this Michigan team is dialed in this yeah. game and the next game in their mind is what they're going for. They want to go for Big Ten, a.k.a. and Michigan floor, you know, like that is what and I feel like they're more dialed in. It's been shockingly quiet <laughs> out of yes. Ann Arbor for three weeks, like they're raking in recruits, they're raking in um uh, uh, transfer portal people. This is the program in the Big Ten right now. I don't know how you can deny that. I'm sorry, Buckeye fans that <laughs> might be skipping forward now, but you know this is the alpha male in the conference, and I my my sense is they want to flex that in this particular game. But because of that, what happens if if they get down ten to nothing? Oh, man, I can't wait for this game. You brought this up. I'm just going to mention this. You, th this game, and I don't want to say just because of – I'm not going to compare the score, but you know – you remember the Purdue-Syracuse game? It was like 10-9 to 9 going into the fourth quarter, and you were just like, this game's fine. It's not as exciting as I thought, and then the fourth quarter happened, and there were 100 points. I feel like that might be the case for this Michigan-TCU game where we get to three quarters and you're like – Interesting. It's a good game, but it's it's not – you know, it's not what I thought. And then the fourth quarter, and we, we could just see all hell break loose. That's you, be on, you, you got me thinking there. I I could I, see that. And I know you're not a trends guy, but I can't. Over the course of the season, both of these teams have shown that they come alive or they, they force their hand in the third and fourth quarters. And I can't get over that fact. So that's why I say this could be a 10-7 game at halftime. Hmm. And then it ends up being 37, 34 or something crazy like that. I'm because with you. I'm with you with the 10 to seven and a half. I feel like there's going to be more action in the third. Sure. Sure. That, go I, ahead. Go ahead and get through it and give me your prediction. Well, I was going to say uh, the one thing I think really plays into Michigan's hand. And, and we saw this when they played uh, Ohio state, we saw it in the big 10 championship game, but now you get, a month in addition to to run the offense without Blake Corum. Donovan Edwards has looked really good. I think that they're in really good shape with the running attack. Like I said, I think J.J. McCarthy is getting even more and more comfortable. He looks really good when he's on the run. So 
I'm jazzed for this game. I think it's going to be an exciting one. I've got Michigan 31, TCU 27. So that's a TCU cover, and that's an under. We're we're seeing a lot of similarities. Um, I do think there will be a bit of a feeling out first half process that we've seen out of both of these uh, teams. Why would I switch up what I see as my prediction than what I've seen from these teams for the first 13 games? So I do think I'll see that. Um, we all know Max Duggan, right? He's a he's a Heisman candidate. He deserved to be there. People probably are going to get to know running back Kendra Miller and wide receiver Quentin Johnston. They're better than what a lot of college football play or a lot of college football fans know. Maybe Big Ten fans, you'll you'll see some talent, but in the end, Michigan's better. Michigan wants this game and is a the better team. I just don't think it's going to be a flex the muscle deal. I think it's just going to be, as as you said, boa constrictor. Michigan just winds up being better, not completely unlike how the Big Ten championship looked, right? Because people forget now, Purdue challenged Michigan yeah. in that game, and then Michigan just, yeah, just, just suffocated them. Almost a reprint of that, but a little bit closer without the big score at the end. So I got Michigan 30. TCU 24. That is just a slight TCU cover. And at 54 points, I got this going just under. All right, moving into the evening, the Peach Bowl, a.k.a. this college football playoff semifinal. This is, of course, on December 31st, New Year's Eve, the 11-1 Ohio State Buckeyes versus the 13-0 Georgia Bulldogs. 7 o'clock p.m. game on ESPN line. Bulldogs by 6.5. Over under 62, Vegas is saying 34 to 28. So basically the same prediction in uh, both uh, college football playoff games, which I honestly find interesting. Ohio State, of course, second the Big Ten East with a second lease on life playing in this game. Georgia, the undefeated SEC champion. This is about as big <laughs> as it gets for, and I called it weeks ago. I knew they would put this game the night game. This feels like the night game in the Peach Bowl. Um, SEC versus Big Ten. Two blue bloods. I mean, Georgia, I think, is definitely a blue blood now. There are a lot of, of interesting it, uh, situations in this game, which to me is interesting because the programs right now are different. Georgia won the national championship last year undefeated this year, Ohio State blue blood, but not backing in, but like there's there's a little bit of question marks with Ohio State coming into this, yet many people turning tuning into this game expect this to be a good game. Yeah, uh, and I think, I think it will be. Um, Ryan Day is going to have, again, a month to prepare, but I think the – I just think that the key to this game is going to be Ohio State's defense, and they've got to play aggressive. The way that teams like Missouri, Tennessee, even Florida for a little bit were able to hang with Georgia was when they were able to create turnovers. And this team does they, – they at times they will play dumb football. They'll take risks that they shouldn't take. And I don't know if that's play calling. I don't know if that's bad decision-making on the part of Stetson Bennett. I mean, he's had a great career. Um, he seems to step up in these big games, but – at the same time, they do occasionally make some boneheaded plays on offense. So I think Ohio State's defense, look, to me, 
it's hard for me to say that Ohio State being a blue blood and always wanting to win a national championship is playing with house money, but they kind of are. Nobody expects really after the way they looked against Michigan. I don't think a hmm. lot of people are expecting Ohio State to beat Georgia in this game. And we know what Ohio State's offense is capable of accomplishing. You've just got to get your offense on the field a lot and create some of those turnovers. So to me, you got to put pressure on Stetson Bennett. You got to try to create some fun. You got to try to get the ball away. You got to try to create some interceptions in this game because that's what in those couple games that Georgia has really struggled, they've lost the turnover battle. I mean, obviously they've won all their games, but lose a turnover battle and Ohio State gets more of those opportunities, get CJ Stroud on the field. Anything can happen in that scenario. Man. Yes, you're I hope our listeners are are as excited as I am from what you just broke down. Because honestly, man, that that got my nips a little hard right there. And I appreciate that. Um, So the aggressive, do you remember, did you have that cheer in high school? B aggressive. aggressive. Yeah. That is what I think Ohio state fans want to see out of Ohio state on both sides of the ball. Be aggressive on defense. I'm with you. I think Ohio state fans want to see the aggression even more so on offense. So, Unfortunately, JSN out for the game with the almighty hamstring injury that he suffered, and it sucks. I, I guess I just assumed Trevion Henderson would be a back would be back, but he's not in this game. After that, though, we've got a more healthy running back room for Ohio State, a more healthy Ohio State team in general. Get aggressive. We got two Heisman candidate quarterbacks in this game. Your Heisman candidate is better, Ohio State. Make this a quarterback competition and put the ball in C.J. Stroud's hand. I am not buying into this. He's not a gamer quarterback, okay? Like, there's a little bit of Peyton Manning in college going on here with C.J. Stroud because you remember Peyton Manning was incredible but, quote-unquote, couldn't win the big game. CJ Stroud is the same way, but I, I I don't buy it. I don't buy that CJ. I, I believe it's been more bad luck and play calling that's held CJ Stroud back. Don't do that in this game, Ryan Day. Go for it. That is going to be what I'm going to look for early and often in this game. If there's a screen pass within the first three plays of this game, there might be a <laughs> lot of broken phones in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> but this is... <clears throat> So I think what hurts Ohio State is for years and years and years, they had by far the best talent in the Big Ten. Maybe not maybe not by far, but they had the best talent in the Big Ten. And at times you could get away with some of those. You could win games with that kind of play calling. They can't do that. They couldn't do that against Michigan. They're not going to be able to do that against Georgia. Like you're not going to be able to out-athlete Georgia. So get that out of your mindset. So you do – I agree with you. Throw the ball down the field – Get your receivers in good position. If you want to throw a screen pass every now and then to mix it up a little bit, no problem with it. But it can't be the primary source of that offense. And I, I, maybe it's not, but it just it seemed like it towards the end of the season. They, there were frustrations in that Penn State game, even though they even though they won. So real quick, agree with that breakdown. One thing that you said earlier was Ohio State's playing with house money. I I don't discount that, but at the same time. Ryan Day needs this. This there's there's tension on Ryan Day as well. That is part of the the draw of this game. Sure. So does that tension point. does that tension play into the game plan? 
I hope not. I or I hope the tension plays into the game plan in that they they back to the aggressive part that they are aggressive and go after it, which which is kind of pointed on some of the points you just made. Wouldn't and wouldn't to me if I'm a fan, wouldn't you rather lose taking your shots? As yes, to, because bingo. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. So that's that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, that would be what I'm getting at. I, that's a good point about. I guess I'm looking at it from the national perspective and the fact that not a lot of people are picking Ohio State to win. Great point about Ryan Day. Kind of, I don't know, hot seat, but taking some taking some shots. That's a yeah. great point by you. Um, and so for that reason, you can't play you can't play cautious because you're you're not going to win by playing cautious. You just don't have the type of athletes. You're not going to, like I said, you're not going to athlete, gonna athlete advantage. Athlete yes, advantage. Yes, yes, yes. And, and by the way, and what you're talking about here to back you up, um, Stetson Bennett makes some mistakes, but he's efficient when he's not. Uh, he doesn't bomb you, but he hits you. Four running backs for Georgia are averaging 4.7 yards or more. Four. And we aren't talking about two guys that got 180 yards on the season. We're talking about four guys that got 350 yards or more on the season and are averaging 4.7 yards. If Georgia can willfully run the ball down Ohio State's throat, it's cancel Christmas at that point. So that has got to be a, a, a focus of Ohio State and their defense. And as an Iowa fan, tight end Brock Bowers, he gives me the feels, baby. He, yeah. he he makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. Like that's the combination right there. And what I find interesting is that the strength of Ohio State's defense has actually been inside out, where their secondary has struggled. Well, guess where Georgia struggles with their wide receivers, yeah. and they get stronger as they move tight end to running back. There's a point. There was a point in my head where I'm like, maybe this winds up being low scoring. Because of the tension and because Ohio State's defense actually matches up better, dude, this this game's that, great. That's a that's a good question. Uh, one one last thing I'll I'll add is to your point. If Georgia runs the ball effectively, it might be cancel Christmas. At the same time, I've seen Georgia do this a couple times this season. They run the ball really well, and then for whatever reason, they take a dumb they they run some sort of dumb play and they turn it over. They get behind the sticks, whatever the case might be. So those are the plays. They, it's not going to happen a lot. It may happen five or six times in the game. You've got to take advantage. You don't have to create a you, you you've got to create a turnover on two or three of those to give yourself a chance in that. If they if Ohio State can do that, I think they have a really good shot um, to win this game. If they can't take advantage of those boneheaded mistakes that Georgia will undoubtedly make that make everybody scratch their head, then it will be a long day. Go for it. All right, I've got Georgia 34, Ohio State 27. So that's uh, that's a Georgia cover in and an under. By a point. By a point. You're a yep. point under. You want to know why I know that? Because I've got Georgia 35, Ohio State 28. <laughs> so one point extra for each team. And at 63 points, I've got that one point over. We see the same game. Hope I'm wrong. And the one thing I want to say is this. I'm, I am not an Ohio State or Michigan fan. I am a Big Ten fan. It would be destructive if both Ohio State oh, and God. Michigan lost. I don't care if it's 
Michigan versus Georgia or Ohio State versus TCU, to be honest with you. And obviously we have the amazing potential of this being Ohio State versus Michigan. I don't care as long as, please, God, don't, one team. don't have one of the Big Ten teams to get through. That is the, the I think even Penn State fans are a little bit scared that that could wind up being the scenario, which would be destructive for the conference that we mostly focus on on this podcast. Yep. We're going to, we're going to keep Christmas spirit and and pretend that's not a scenario that's going to happen. I like it. Speaking of Christmas spirit from myself, Big Kurt and Dustin Schutte, your eyes on big 10 podcast, Merry Christmas and happy new year to all our listeners uh, thank you for making this as good of a 2022 season as could be. Uh, DS, you got me choked up the last time you recorded with us on how much it meant to you that you could record on the podcast. Obviously, it means just as much to us that you have been there. Um, the interaction of the uh, uh, Eyes on Big fans this entire season has been off the charts. It's been, it means a lot to me. I know it means a lot to Kurt if I could you know, be so bold. I think it means a lot to DS as well. Great to have you back on Twitter. Uh, anyways, thanks again. Eyes on big 10 listeners and our eyes on big listeners. We very much appreciate it. DS, you got anything else you want to add there? I hope everybody has a, has a very Merry Christmas, happy holidays and en- enjoy the big 10 bowl games. All right. I am Jeffrey the Greek. I'm not big Kurt. <laughs> this has been the eyes on big podcast. We'll talk to you soon.